Stuart Holman here. Great to be with you again for the fourth in this week's series of daily devotionals, reflecting upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as it's presented to us in John's Gospel. Jesus, the King of the Jews, has been betrayed, beaten, humiliated and crucified. And the details of his crucifixion have reminded us of the suffering of God's anointed as it's presented in several places in the book of Psalms. In each case, of course, it is God who vindicates. It is God who shows that his chosen one is indeed the righteous one. And then finally, as we saw yesterday, Jesus has breathed his last and died with a final exclamation that it is finished. Now we know that John's writing his gospel to call people to believe, people who must rely upon his eyewitness testimony as to the veracity of the facts. And so as we return to the narrative of John 19, verses 31 through 37 become of particular interest to those seeking verification. Verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Remember, it's Passover time, celebrating the salvation of Israel out of Egypt, remembering the night the angel of death passed over all the houses of the Jews with blood on their doorposts. And so on this particular day of the festival, the day of preparation, that was the day when the lamb for the feast was traditionally slaughtered. Symbolically, I guess, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, is killed on this day day of preparation for the great festival, celebrating God's salvation of his people. Uh, so continuing in verse 31, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Now, as horrible as this sounds, the breaking of the legs is meant to bring the suffering of the crucified one to a speedy end, accelerating their suffocation. Pilate grants the act of mercy, but I guess for the Jewish leadership, we could suspect that they didn't want to talk of Jesus or to have any reminder of Jesus remaining in the published consciousness during this Passover festival. Uh, so verse 32, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. These details are significant as verification. We're assured that the Roman soldiers, who were no doubt very experienced in crucifixions and in death, as expert witnesses, determine that Jesus is already dead. Uh, he's not swooned or fainted, uh, perhaps to be reawakened by the cool of the tomb. He's not pretending death. He is pronounced dead by experts. The piercing of Jesus' side with a spear, producing an immediate flow of blood and water, it's, it's variously interpreted by different people in different ways. Look, I think at very least, John thought the details important such that he would include it in his account. For the soldiers, it was perhaps just to be sure, or perhaps their specialist knowledge thought it objective proof that Jesus was already well and truly dead. 
Various modern medical experts have offered opinions concurring with the soldiers actually saying, yes, in those circumstances, the separation of the blood and the water confirms his death. I can't add any expertise or confirmation as to the significance of this particular detail, except to say that John, in writing his gospel, certainly uses the spear and blood and the water detail as the springboard for his attestation and verification. The verse 35, immediately following it, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Well, the details recorded in John's gospel are the work of an eyewitness. The other apostles had all fled from the scene, but we know from verse 26 that the apostle John was present at the cross to the bitter end. And now his testimony is verified. Jesus is demonstrated to be dead through the grisly work of the soldiers. Notice here that John steps out of the narrative at this point to address his readers. We remember that John's purpose in writing this gospel is that the reader might know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing they might have life in his name. So here, this is John's eyewitness testimony to the events of the cross. No doubt the early church also had the benefit of the eyewitness testimony of the women and any others who were there present. But John says, here is my sworn verification. This is what I saw. Jesus was crucified, dead, and very soon to be buried. But before that detail, John also reflects on two Old Testament prophecies in connection with these details. The first, in verse 36, that none of Jesus' bones were broken. And he seems to be recalling another psalm, Psalm 34, verse 20 this time, which is set as a reflection on King David's escape from Abimelech. Now, to me, this links a little confusing, except to say once again that King David's experience foreshadows that greater experience of Jesus. A little more obviously, John's reference to none of Jesus' bones being broken reminds us, of course, of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb in Exodus 12:46 and Numbers 9:12, where in the instructions from Moses to Israelites, None of the bones of the Passover lamb were to be broken. The rules for eating those lambs were intended to prepare Israel's expectations for the ultimate lamb sacrificed for their salvation. Well, the second Old Testament reference, they will look on the one they have pierced, quotes Zechariah 12 verses 10 through 12. In the book of Zechariah, uh, surrounded by fierce armies and outnumbered with no chance of survival, God moves Israel to grieve and mourn their sin. There are some ambiguities in the text, but Israel seem to mourn as they look upon God's prophet, the one whom they have pierced, and they mourn perhaps because they realize they were wrong to reject or to ignore the prophet's call to repentance. But on that day of mourning in Zechariah's vision, God wins deliverance for his people, even as they mourn. 
John seems to be saying that on the cross, even as Jesus is mourned by his disciples, God wins a great victory. As we've worked very slowly and reflectively through the text of John 19, still with a few more verses to go tomorrow, I've tried to provide an introduction and a demonstration of the art of Christian biblical meditation. It's not a science. It's just a slow but careful marination in the text. We sit in it until we start to take on its flavors and, and nuances. We want to notice the details. We want to wonder as to their significance. We want to draw near to God and to see what he might have for us in his word this time around. During a lifelong journey of discipleship, we will visit each text of the Bible over and over again. We won't always learn new things. The text won't change, but we will change by the grace of God. He will use the same text differently, but always to grow us in Christ. As you turn to prayer now, what is it that you've observed? What is it that God has brought to your attention this time around, as we have pondered Jesus on the cross.